Welcome to the Mind on My Money podcast presented by Pinnacle Trust. Hosted by RebelGrove.com publisher Neil McCrady and Pinnacle Trust financial guru Martin Palomo, the Mind on My Money podcast tackles the financial questions we're all thinking about. From paying for college to saving for retirement, from life insurance needs to 401ks and everything in between. The goal is to help you take the stress out of financial concerns and give you some tips to enjoy life while your mind is on your money. Now here are your hosts, Neil McCrady. And Martin Paloma. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi. 662-257-1900 is that number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. Right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote, and the rest is up to you. What I recommend that you do is hop into a Clark Ford today. You'll love the service. You'll love the product. Corey wants to be your car guy. He wants to be your truck guy. People say, what does that mean? My response is always the same. Call that number. You'll start to find out. 662-257-1900. And Martin, before uh, you introduce our guest today and get started, tell the people about Pinnacle Trust and how they can get in touch with you all. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, Glad to be back. Um, Glad to have Dave or Coop, as we also refer to him uh, on the show with us. Before we get cranked up, I'm going to tell our listeners again about Pinnacle Trust. Uh, company's been around for a little more than 20 years, actually getting closer to 25 to be exact. Um, happy to be back in the studio with, uh, with Neil. Um, happy to have uh, our guests with us as well. One of the things I wanted to talk about, we've been kind of highlighting the different um, segments of the business. We've talked about our corporate retirement plans division. We've talked about our financial planning uh, division a few times. I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, our investment management division today uh, and highlight that piece. So, you know, one of the things that a lot of folks think is, you know, what do you have that's, that's any different than, than the next guy? And that's a, that's a really good question because the truth of the matter is, is almost all the investment products that are out there in the world, um, you know, have become a commodity, meaning the S&P 500 index is the S&P 500 index. I have access to it. Um, you know, everyone else has access to it. The thing that kind of makes us a little bit different uh, than, than probably our normal competitors here in, in Mississippi and the Southeast is the way that we construct portfolios. We've, we've been trained or the guys on our investment management unit and girl, because Maeve or woman, Maeve is, is a part of that as well, um, have all been trained from, you know, how to construct portfolios more from an institutional perspective than just, uh, you know, your everyday individual investor perspective. So one of the things that you're getting with, uh, with a portfolio managed by Pinnacle is, is access to, uh, access to different types of strategies that, you know, endowments, foundations, pension plans use um, to take care of their needs. You know, they, get, they go on forever. So they don't have a short-term time frame or even a long-term time frame. Their time frame is essentially forever. And uh, every year they have to pay their bills, no matter whether the market's up, down, sideways. And so they try to get a more predictive return stream, take a little less risk for the same amount of return. And we're going to talk a little bit uh, about that today. But so if you've been doing uh, all your investment management on your own and your stomach is in knots, or if you got on the bandwagon and you bought Tesla at 500 and you've hit the puke zone, uh, give us a call. Let us take over the management of that stress for you. 601 957 0323. Um, info at Trust is our email. You can also get us, uh, find us on social media, follow us at Pinnacle Trust or Mind on My Money podcast. We are, uh, we are pretty, uh, pretty active in, in responding back to you there as well. So without belaboring uh, the, the, the next thing, I wanted to introduce um, our guest today. His name, uh, his name is, is Dave Coopersmith. 
and we call him Coop. He is a principal and senior member of the research and portfolio management teams at AQR Capital Management. Uh, he provides economic research in the macro themes, uh, market dislocations and structural changes across asset classes, focusing on, on connecting the quantitative data to the global macro events and trends. He got his bachelor's from Amherst College and an MBA from Columbia. I'm gonna set him up on, uh, on, on a Homer Simpson joke here. So Coop, before we get cranked up, Tell us a little bit about Homer's experience and did he have any success or not with uh, trading his pumpkin futures? So it started off very well for him. He did, he did extremely well in October. The price of pumpkins went way up. Then at Halloween, he got very excited and he thought, you know what? This thing is going up all the way through Christmas. Um, <laughs> and he, I think he doubled down on his pumpkin futures. Um, didn't really work out for him. So a lot of people think the lesson behind that is you have to be better at market timing that his mistake was, you know, he didn't follow the seasonality in, in uh, pumpkins. But um, if you look at the, from the perspective of a quantitative investor like we do, his, his real mistake was lack of diversification. He put all of, his, all of his money into that one contract, into those pumpkin futures. And, you know, the, and you, things can do well for a while, and you think you've got something good. But he was just not well diversified. <laughs> and he ended up, by the way, having to borrow money from... Um, from Marge's sisters as a result, which is probably the worst thing that the could twins. happen to Homer. Yeah. I mean, God, don't you, don't you love the Simpsons, man? I mean, is there, is there a better show out there? I mean, South Park, South Park gets it right a lot of times too, but they're just yeah. so yeah. raunchy, but man, uh, God, I, I love, yeah. I love the, and is it, is it, it's a, it's a longest running show, correct? That's still, uh, that still hasn't, that still has new, uh, episodes. Is that correct? I think that is. Correct. Are they still That's producing? Right. That new sounds right. Are there still new yeah. episodes of The Simpsons? There, there are still new episodes of The Simpsons. Yeah. Oh wow! Yeah, I didn't know that. I, yeah, this I, one was from twenty years ago. Yeah, <laughs> that, that <laughs> it's the, so applicable. The sisters, the chain smoking, and I know. I wish yeah. we could. Oh. You could just video the. It's just the the writing on that show. You're right. The South, South Park is great, and it hits home runs one after the other. But but South Park can sometimes get. A little raunchy. Yeah, yeah, a lot raunchy, actually. Where you're like, you know, I, I probably need to make sure I have my ear pods in. Uh, with 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 uh, the Simpsons, it's it's just so that's so funny. And poor old yeah. Homer. Everything everything always starts to go well, and then it just turns into an unmitigated disaster. And yet he produced he produced two brilliant children. That's the the, the oddest thing about it is he's he's married to a a pretty smart woman who just tolerates him and both of his children in in different ways are, are are very intelligent i mean lisa's a genius and bart's conniving as hell and poor old homer he just is so simple he just can't get he can he can round first base and then he just gets lost episode after episode <laughs> i think it's the story of my life man all right so so the moral of the story is is not that uh that Homer made a, a bad investment. He didn't sell properly, but then also his biggest mistake though, like you said, was he should have had some didn't. stock in Christmas tree farms <laughs> shortly, <laughs> right? Shortly after, shortly after uh, Halloween, he should have anticipated that the, the pumpkin, yeah, the pumpkin market, like Turkey, uh, the pumpkin market was going to go down a little and, and he needed to start thinking about, Hey, what's coming up in a couple of weeks. And, 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 and what was coming was, <laughs> Hey, Christmas trees are going to get hot. You know, yeah. If, if only it were that easy, you know, where, where, where markets were that seasonal. We do see some seasonality in markets, but, but it's not that easy. Markets are pretty good at, at predicting that kind of stuff. 
unfortunately. <laughs> I know we could we could set up a schedule for homework. It'd be like pumpkins roll into Christmas trees, roll into roses, roll into watermelon, roll into pumpkins, roll into yeah. Christmas trees. <laughs> Just keep it nice and simple. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I gotta get some fireworks maybe in the summer. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. That's uh you know, that's that's a that's a great suggestion there. And there's probably we've probably missed a few other little little subclasses of of things that we could we could give some homer some advice on that but since homer is not our real client and uh and 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 i don't deal in pumpkin futures and and coop i don't think i don't think you guys deal in in pumpkin futures either but there are some i mean there are some things right now that have a lot of people maybe it's not pumpkin futures but um you know have a lot of people kind of on edge and uh, and thinking about their, their portfolios, uh, obviously this is an election year and, uh, this will be the, you know, probably I would have, I would have thought we would have talked more about elections at this point And we, we just have it, but, um, you know, elections, and I know we'll talk a little bit about, let's just start there. Um, you know, what yeah. do you guys think? Let's talk about what, what could be some broad implications of, of outcomes and client portfolios based on, you know, the, all of the different options that or the different probabilities that are out there for for the election this year yeah so clearly the worst outcome would be some kind of uncertain outcome where we don't know who won on the election day or it's disputed yeah. or or there's some kind of um uh, problem with that um that that would be i think the most damaging to the stock market markets like certainty they like to know what's coming and if there is that uncertainty it can really throw things off so that would be the worst outcome so uh, well, and let me, I'm going to, can I go there? Go ahead, Neil. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because I think that's a realistic outcome. I'm not saying it's likely, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I, I, if, if you were to put, you know, on a pie chart, Hey, outcomes, potential outcomes, obviously, you know, Biden winning is, is one, uh, you know, Trump mm-hmm. pulling off an upset and Trump getting uh, reelected is one, but you'd have to add on that pie chart. There would have to at least be a slice, perhaps a substantial slice that says, on election night, it looks like Trump has the most votes, but you have to go count the mail-in votes. And as the mail-in votes c- come in, uh, they go in favor of Biden. And as that's happening, Trump is reaching out to governors in different states, telling them to stop counting the votes. And we have a bit of a constitutional crisis where it looks like uh, Bush v. Gore on steroids, where two mm-hmm. things two things happen. And this is not a political statement on my part. Two things happen. One is there is, as you mentioned, no one really knows exactly what's going to happen. And two, it becomes very obvious that no matter the result, you're going to have approximately half of the country that does not view that result to be uh, credible, to be to be factual. And so there, there's there's going to be continued political unrest as opposed to what we're used to in this country, which is we have these very divided election years. And then it ends, and someone wins, and they get inaugurated, and we say, all right, well, you know what? He, he wasn't my guy, but okay. You know, we're, we're, let's rally behind this guy for a while, and then in, in a couple of years, we'll start the process of trying to slit his throat politically. But right now, let's, let's go with it. I, I, my concern is that on January the 20th at, at um, 11 a.m. Central Time, noon Eastern, one of, I, I, there's, there's two scenarios that, that kind of scare me a little bit as an American. One is that because of a constitutional crisis, Nancy Pelosi gets sworn in as president. And, and two, and this is more likely, is that whoever gets sworn in, whether it's Biden or whether it's Trump, 
so many of the American people don't view it as uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's just a credible election. As 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 a yeah, legitimate, as a, yeah, legitimate was the word I was looking for. You can tell you went to uh, the kind of schools you went to, and I went to Louisiana. He has an MBA from Columbia, dude. Yeah, he went to he went to. I mean, you went to Harvard, and you went to Harvard in Monroe. So. I went to Harvard on the Bayou, and, and Harvard uh, on the Bayou. Yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah, we we. While we don't produce a lot of Nobel laureates and that kind of thing, we kick ass in water skiing. So uh, we've got we got that. Yeah, I know David. Try to people can't see David at home. He's very. You can tell the jealousy is just raging through his blood right now. But but take me through yeah. what that means from Thanks, a green. I know what what does that mean from a market standpoint if some of those things were to happen. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head about the difference between this and Bush versus Gore, where that really didn't affect the markets that much. I mean, people stocks weren't doing that well at the time, but I don't think people were all that concerned. Once the court cases kind of went through and, and Bush um, won, I don't think um, most people kind of disputed that. He, he became president. And the real problem, as I said, was the uncertainty. Markets like to know what's coming, what's in the future, what the cash flows are going to be. That's how you, how you value stocks. Um, and you can't do that if you really have no idea what the leadership is, what's going on, um, you know, whether, whether the election was, was legitimate. Um, if we do get an outcome, though, that is certain, I don't think from an absolute perspective it's going to make that much difference either way. We've seen both um, Trump and Biden in power, and stocks did well. During both that, during the Obama administration, stocks did pretty well, and they've done very well during the, the Trump administration so far. I think, though, you'll see some difference in sectoral performance, though, between the two. And the big difference, I'd say, between um, Trump and Biden on policy is, is attitude towards regulation. And Trump has done a lot of deregulation in the financial sector, in particular, in the energy sector, some of the others. Um, and if Biden came in, I think there'd be more re-regulation. And now, some of that will depend on what happens in Congress if there's a Biden presidency. Um, you know, if, if the Senate is still Republican or not, but let's say you get a Democratic sweep, not probably not the most likely scenario, but let's say that did happen. Then I think you'd see a lot more regulation. You see some of the sectors that haven't performed so well will do better against some of the sectors that have done well under the Trump administration. If Trump's elected, you know, I think it's more of the same. Or reelected, right. rather. Right. And, and, and I, I kind of appreciate, I, I appreciate you walking through that as well, because, you know, a lot of, what we hear when I, when I'm talking to, to folks, you know, um, like our clients and, and then just people that are out and about in the community is there's, um, there's this fear that if, you know, if Trump loses, if, if Biden wins the election, there's this fear that, you know, all of a sudden markets are stock markets are going to sell off by 20, 30, 40%. And, and, you know, and you heard, I heard this a little bit, the same in you know in 2008 you know and then in the election in 16 uh you know most of us i think all thought that that hillary had it in the bag um and then you know election night certainly was was a was a different outcome but i don't i don't buy into the camp either that there's that it's going to be this huge you know uh huge market sell-off immediately if you know if if biden wins I, i do i agree with you i think you know tax policies probably change a little bit there'll be some some things that, that change that that'll be different. But, um, I think there are some, you know, some other factors currently in, in our environment that could have a larger sell-off impact or, or negative impact to investment portfolios than, than elections. And I'm not trying to run down that hole yet because we're going to get there. So I'll just, I'm going to table that, that thought and comment and we'll kind of, we'll kind of get to those as well. But 
So I guess if I understood what you said correctly, and I think Neil did a great job of, of laying it out too, if we have some certainty, whether it's Trump wins or whether it's Biden wins, it's, you know, it's probably a minimum, minimal impact to, um, to portfolio or to stock portfolios. There'll be some, uh, there'll be some, you know, some, some headwinds, but, but not drastic. But if we end up in a, you know, on January 20th, we have no idea who's supposed to be, you know, put into all who's supposed to be inaugurated that morning. That's where we're going to have chaos. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. Um, you know, if we go back to, to, 20... to put a number on that, cause I have no idea what that would look like either. So yeah, I, I, it's bad. Let's just go with the negative. It'll be a negative number. There you um, go. But I think if you go back to, <laughs> it'll be go back to 2016, you know, people, people were really worried. Maybe certain people were really worried that if Trump um, pulled off the upset, that stocks would go down a lot. And if you watch the overnight futures, as soon when the poll yes. started coming in and Trump was winning, they were getting hit really hard. And it looked like you were going to see this big market crash. And as we know, you know, you know, the November of 2016 was a great month for stocks. So people are pretty bad at, at predicting this stuff. Yeah. And I think a lot of the doomsayers really overestimate the effects of these things on markets. Yeah. So is it safe to say that people are about as skilled and good as Homer um, in the pumpkin <laughs> features as, you know, as, as calling what's going to happen to stock portfolios based in, you know, on election night swings? Seems that way, yeah. It does appear that, that, that way. Bad, but true. Yeah, <laughs> I think we're going to get a lot of mileage out of this pumpkin futures and in, in the Simpsons <laughs> in this episode. So, <laughs> um, well, let me let me kind of shift gears for for just a second. So, since we're talking about disruptors, um, you know, we talked about the the elections and what could possibly happen. So, let's talk about what are what are kind of the biggest obstacles that you guys see you know, through year end or, in the, you know, in the, let's just call it the near term. I won't say through year end, but in the near term, what are some of the other, you know, big disruptors to, you know, stock portfolios, you know, and even look, we can talk about bond portfolios. What do you guys see as, as other, as big obstacles? Sure. So I think there's kind of three things that are very topical. And then one kind of big thing that hangs over markets that, that, that could be a real problem. So the first one is definitely COVID and more shutdowns. You know, if, if disease really resurges, it's not a problem in itself so much, but if it leads to real economic problems, like you can't get the economy restarted as well as people think that um, people are forced to take these drastic actions to fight it, um, that you don't see a vaccine or some kind of treatment for it come out. Um, any of these things could be a potential problem. I don't think that's all that likely right now. Um, to be honest, I, I think we're, we're kind of seeing that receding a little bit as a market concern. But that's still going to be out there, and it's going to be out there for a while. It's going to be out there around the world, too, in terms of you know, where you want to put your money in different countries. It's going to be, yeah. have a big factor, the ones that, that are affected. You see a big resurgence in a country, that could be a big problem for that country. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to be as – it's certainly not going to be as big a problem as it was six months ago. So, you know, countries – so a lot of – and a lot of folks – I know we get a lot of home country bias as, as U.S. citizens, mm -hmm. and we think about the U.S. markets, but – um, there have been, yeah, I mean, there, Europe has, has seemed to handle, handle this pretty well. Um, so you think, Hey, if you're, if you're constructing a portfolio, you got to look, you have, you have to be diversified. You have to look yep. you know, around the world. You have to look, you know, outside of just the U S. Um, and, and I think, you know, from our opinion too, anytime when things get, get crazy and there's, and there's uncertainty for us, I think that diversification is more important 
than ever um, when there's a lot of uncertainty. Because I haven't, I, I don't have the, I, I wish I had that crystal ball because we would all be billionaires. Uh, we wouldn't be doing this <laughs> podcast. We would be sailing uh, some, you know, private islands or something like that. We'd be having a, a great time um, and not doing podcasts and talking about, <laughs> we'd be having someone manage our money. <laughs> I, I say, so, go ahead, go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, that's fine. No, no, you go ahead. Because <laughs> I, I was, no, I was getting ready to go off on a, on a little bit of a tangent as it pertains to COVID. So not, not the, not the virus and all that stuff, but just, Anyway, I'll, we can save it because we'll end up going down a, a path and we, we won't get back. So go, go ahead. <laughs> I mean, I can reel us okay. in, Neil, if you want me to be the fisherman, dude. No, I'm okay. I'm okay. Uh, <laughs> David, David is far smarter than I am, so let's let him talk. Um, I was, I was just going to say, with, with the COVID stuff, it's not really that much about the disease. And the reason, the real fear back in March, and the reason markets got hit so badly, was people thought that. They didn't know how long things were going to be shut down. They'd never seen something like a shutdown. It goes back to that uncertainty thing. We really didn't know what was going to happen. Now we've kind of seen it where um, we've seen, you know, the, the worst effects of disease. We've seen some resurgence. We've seen how they react. We really have a much better idea. So it's more about um, something really crazy happening within the future. It doesn't seem that that's all that likely to me right now, that we're going to see something that, that it, you know, mutate, you know, some kind of something that's really out of, out of what we've seen in the past that, that really bring things down. So I, I don't see that as very likely um, going forward. No, there's a story out today, in fact, that the uh, the U.S. House of Representatives, the the board that was, you know, that they were, the, the committee that they were talking to, they were misreading the statistics. And the statistics were misrepresented. Like, instead of reading a, a 10, instead of reading a 1, they read a 10. They they got two statistical things switched back and forth. I don't have it here in front of me at this very moment, but would have completely changed the calculus as it pertained to what to expect from the virus, which is one of the reasons that I get a sense. Uh, and I think I think this this might impact portfolios and markets and that kind of thing. I get a sense that people, the the regular people, are less concerned with a with a vaccine today than they were a couple of weeks ago that a lot more people are starting to say hey you know i'm watching i'm watching these numbers and it's a case demic now more than it is a pandemic it's it's a lot of people are, are are getting the virus but they're not getting particularly sick and when i say that they're not requiring hospitalization there was so much talk early on that we had to flatten the curve to keep the hospitals functional and now that's been done and I think a lot more people out there, just regular people are saying, I'm, I'm ready to learn how to live with this and not spend so much time hiding from it or waiting for a vaccine so that I can get back to my life. I could be wrong, but that's what it feels like. And it's, it's why the, for the longest time, there was a lot of talk about, you know, getting in on the bottom, to go back to Homer for a minute, getting in on, on vaccine related stocks while the, the hunt for the vaccine was going on. And those yeah. will still be very profitable uh, buys, if you will, but I just don't know how many people are out there now, as opposed to in March, saying, "Hey, I, I can't, I can't get out from underneath my bed. I can't leave my house until I know there's a there's a workable vaccine." Yeah, yeah I mean, so. I, I, th I think so. I think. Well, I'll just talk about from my perspective too, because because <clears throat> there was a lot of fear, you know, in, in in our house initially as well. So I have 
you know, my mother lives with us and she is, um, she's 72 in reasonably good health, but there was a couple of the, the big underlying, um, conditions that, that made me real, real nervous about having a, just any semblance of normalcy, um, at our house, just cause I was, I was terrified of importing the, importing it into my house and my mother getting it, you know, getting real sick, dying. And then, uh, you know, and, and, and I'd be the response I'm responsible for that. And I still, you know, I'm still very cautious, <clears throat> Neil, um, with what I do today, but, but I, we're a lot more active now, um, than, than I was. And some of it too, is that I trust we're, we're probably, you know, subconsciously, I trust we're closer to, uh, to a, a treatment or a, or a vaccine than, than we were in March. There was a lot of uncertainty and fear in, in, in our house big time. But I think, I think you're probably right. I think a lot of folks are, we're learning to coexist with this thing. Um, even with, in the absence of a, of a vaccine and, and, um, anyway, Dave, what do you, Coop, what do you think about, uh, what do you think about what Neil's saying? Um, well, well, from, from the perspective of the market, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be about the economic activity. It's not really about the disease in itself. It's about what, what, what the reaction is and how, um, how much the economy can function. And I think we're sort of learning how to function with it. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't risks. You know, if, if we do start to see a resurgence or maybe it turns out to be more deadly than we had thought, or there's some kind of thing, you know, it could be a problem for markets, but just as it is, it's, it's kind of something that's more of a, that the markets are no longer as concerned about the health crisis as they were back, um, back, you know, six months ago, seven, seven months ago. And I don't think it's going to be the first order thing for markets going forward. Um, I don't want to, I'm not trying to downplay the health crisis in itself. Right. Right, it's right. more just the effect on the economy and market seems to be less than it was. Um, it was back then. And what's it? What and, is and my guess is, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Your guess is what? Uh, my guess is, and my guess is going forward. That's going to be true too. Gotcha. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, cause you know, we're, we're, we're in the Southeast or the deep South, however you want to hmm. phrase it. Um, you know, and we, and you guys in the Northeast were hit the hardest first. And, you know, of course I haven't, been up in to the northeastern part of the u.s during the pandemic so like what is the mood like there is is are things moving back to normal there and it's and if we kind of hit a late a later in the season uh hit like you guys had early in the season so it was just two, two different timings of of um you know of it running through our respective areas yeah i mean back you know it's definitely gotten a lot better i mean it was it was streets were just completely empty in March and April, you know, no one was going out. Um, it, like New York City, look, I didn't go in very often, but it looked like a ghost town when, uh, when I was there. Now people are going back, they have outdoor dining. You know, people are starting to, to go back to normal, um, but it's not, it's not fully back yet. I'm not gonna right. say that people are, are completely back to the way they were before. There's still some nervousness, but it's definitely gotten a lot better and people are starting to relax. I think the big thing now is schools reopening and how that plays out. And they're opening New York City schools again. They're opening um, schools in Connecticut, you know, where, where, where we are. Um, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. And a lot of it's like a mix. You know, you're going in half the day. Your kids are, are home for half the day doing it online. Um, so we'll see how that goes. That's, I think, going to be the big um, kind of thing that determines how people feel in the next month or two. Let's talk about something that it feels like it was years ago, you know, when there was the tension between U.S. and China. And actually, that was just at the beginning of this year. Uh, which feels like it was years ago. Um, Coop for, you know, kind of staying on the themes of, of, of portfolios, you know, things that could, ha- <clears throat> that could be 
have an impact in, in portfolios. Is is the U.S. China trade relation issue? Uh, is it still an issue? Yeah, I think it's a really big deal, and markets have been able to shrug it off. And I think there's the idea, you know, we can put it off to next year, we'll get something better. But this is going to keep coming up, and I, I think it doesn't matter who wins the the elections. I don't think, um, you know, any it. Um, it, it's gonna it's gonna go away. Um, if you look at polls in terms of U.S. attitudes towards China, you know it's become a lot more negative. Yeah. Uh, so so this is going to be with us, and it potentially could be disruptive. Now it depends on, you know, we we can deal with some kind of low markets can be fine with some kind of low level of dispute. It's not like there can be um, tariffs and markets can't go up. But if it gets really serious and you see kind of what you would expect, a really serious kind of reactions back and forth. Um, I think it could be a potentially big problem. This this is a big risk, probably one of the bigger risks in 2021 for markets. I don't think it's a big risk so much for 2020, but for 2021, this could really come back and be a and be a big problem. So, and I'm I'm and I'm going to keep pushing us down this path a little bit because we've talked about and the one of the things I love about having guys like you on is is yeah we've talked about problems, but there are some solutions you know, to some of these problems too. And we'll get into some of the solutions and, you know, and why we work with you guys uh, here shortly. But, you know, so we've talked about, you know, the impact of uh, coronavirus. We've talked about U.S. elections. Uh, and then now we're diving into probably the biggest, uh, the biggest obstacle that no one, you know, most of the lay people, like normal people are not even, are not even talking about. And and that is the, the U.S. China trade. And, and And I love that you said that it is, it is totally agnostic to, to who is sitting in the White House. Uh, this is going to be an issue no matter what. So let's dive in. Let's dive in a little deeper um, and talk about um, what are some possible, not from an investment standpoint, but what are, what do you, th- and, and you may not have a, uh, an answer, but what do you think is, could fix our solutions to this tension uh, with U.S. China trade? What, what could be the solution? Yeah. Um, you, you know, it's, it's really tough. There's, there's, you got, let's go through it kind of issue by, by issue. Um, you know, one, one of the big issues is going to be intellectual property and how that works out, whether there's um, some kind of agreement. I think it's possible to have some kind of agreement on that where China can work in some kind of protections and give satisfactory guarantees. We don't have it yet, but, but it looked like we were kind of getting close to that um, it, it, during the negotiations uh, last year. Um, the second thing I think that's a bigger issue is sort of the Chinese model, the economic model that they have of, of state subsidization, of putting their businesses above um, others. And that one's going to be a lot tougher to resolve. I think that's going to be the, the big sticking point um, in any kind of negotiations going forward is, you know, you know, will China change its kind of economic model? And I don't think it's very difficult for a country like the U.S. to say to China, you know, change it and then China's going to actually do it. So. So that's going to be, I think, almost unresolvable. I'm not sure how they can come to a compromise um, on that. You know, can China change its five-year economic plan because the U.S. thinks it's un- unfair to it? And, and I don't know. I, I don't see that as, as being very likely. So I think the dispute is going to be is going to continue on. Um, in terms of um, numbers on it, the trade deficit hasn't really gotten that much better for the U.S. Yep. Despite what's been going on, is still quite wide. Um, I don't think that's as big a problem as people think. I think that 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 you know stocks can do very well, markets can do very well with the trade deficit. If trade deficit narrows, they can do fine. It probably would help the dollar a little bit to yep. get to get a narrower trade deficit. But I don't know if that's you know the, the necessary um, the economic outcome 
that that people want. Um, so, so I think these issues are going to be are going to be with us. The, the kind of best hope we can have is, is um, for the markets and for stocks to go up would be that they don't bubble over, that they end up the dispute kind of simmers on, and that we 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 don't end up with with really big fights that um, end up with big retaliation from both sides. Um, and that hasn't really happened in the last two or three years. So I, I don't know what's going to happen in the next two or three years, but uh, that would kind of be the best outcome, I think, and, and would be a positive outcome for markets. So a little bit of simmering and, and us not in the 2,000 pound gorillas not getting in the boxing ring and just beating the ever living mess out of each other. Yeah. Okay. I think that's the best we can hope for. <laughs> so, so let's, let's wrap all of this up in a, in a really nice bow as well. Um, so lots of uncertainty we've talked about things that could impact, you know, folks investment portfolios. So what are some thoughts and ideas for, you know, what are some strategies that people could, could think about or, or what is the role of alternative strategies in in times of uncertainty or in periods like this? So to go back to the pumpkin futures, you know, yes. um, when they're not doing it. well, you want something else that, that'll do well, that, that you can kind of um, rely on that, you know, will be uncorrelated. Now we've seen really good performance for stocks in the last five or six years. We've seen really good performance in particular for U.S. stocks. They've outperformed most of the most of most of the foreign markets. We've seen bonds also do very well over this period. Um, so we've seen kind of the biggest, most popular investments do very well. This is not necessarily what's going to happen in the future. It's not what we've seen in every period. And what you want is some things that can do well when other things don't. Now, one problem with bonds right now is that yields are very low. Yep. Now, it doesn't mean that they can't can't go lower. That you know, we see negative rates in some countries. It's not like it's completely hopeless, but. Um, you can't count on them necessarily as your only diversifier in the portfolio. You need things that are also going to help you at times when, um, you know, your, your top investments aren't doing as well and can do well in other environments. And that's really what I think alts do within, within a portfolio. So, you know, I know that when, when I was at Cambridge, and this is where I cut my teeth, and, and I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I worked, I was on the hedge fund team uh, at Cambridge Associates, and I was an analyst. I started in 2007. In distressed credit, had no idea what distressed credit was in 2007, uh, but it was an awesome job and an awesome opportunity. And um, when you know, most of our clients were large endowments, foundations, not for profits, you know, pensions that that we were working on. And you know, the thing that I noticed that you know that they had that you know when I was in school, we didn't talk about in our portfolio management classes. Um, you know, were the alternative strategies they had access to things that were, you know, producing income, they had access to things that, uh, you know, that when the market went south in 08, they, they performed well. And, and that's, you know, these alternative strategies, you know, that you talk about, I know, it seems kind of like a, it sounds very vague and opaque. And, but it's, but it's also because there's so many different variations of, of different strategies. So, just let's let's talk this out and walk this out so you can have strategies that help protect when you know when when stock markets go awry mm -hmm. um you know there are strategies that can help produce income um you know during periods where it's like especially right now where it's going to be very hard to to find income and so these are just pieces of of people's portfolios you don't put the you don't go in like like homer and and dump you know, a hundred percent of the funds into the, into the pumpkins futures, but um, kind of walk us through what, what can happen in a, 
in a portfolio, in an investment portfolio that has, you know, access to, um, to alternative strategies, what are the, what are the, some of the outcomes that, that can, that can happen with regards to their stock and their bond portfolios? So one thing you can see is a lot more stable returns for your whole portfolio over, over time. And it's particularly if you have needs for cash or if you, it's something where you don't want your portfolio to go below a certain level, but you still want to take some risk and buy risky stocks and buy things that can go down. This can help kind of reduce the volatility that you have across your portfolio. The other thing it can do is if we do see something really weird happen or something that we haven't seen or a big change in trends, you know, your portfolio can actually really outperform in those kind of environments. You can sleep a little better with what you've got in your portfolio. Now, maybe you won't have the best returns every year, you know, when, when those traditional assets are doing the best. You might give up a little return during that time. What right. you get in terms of peace of mind and in terms of long-term returns is, is really helpful. Right. So <clears throat> it can help. It can help bring the bottoms up and, but you mm -hmm. also shave, shave some off of the top. So giving a, a little bit more predictable, stable, uh, you know, investment portfolio. That's right. So if you're thinking, if you're thinking at the end of October, um, if you have all pumpkin futures, that's the best <laughs> thing to have. But if you're thinking across the course of the whole year, then you want to have a bunch of different things. And, and really, you know, the, the main thing is that we don't know what's going to do the best. You know, people right. can claim that they know this, this asset, this one asset's going to do incredibly well. And the person who said that's going to be right, but doesn't mean they're going to be right in the next year or the next two years. We really don't know. People, the uncertainty is much higher. And if you look at people's predictions from 10 years ago, and we've written some papers about this, it really, the predictability is, is really very low. So the more different things you can have, the more, the better your returns are going to be across the course of your, you know, your, your year, your 10 years, your lifetime. So, so if we were advising Homer, we would say, Hey man, um, a, a, a large port part of your portfolio just needs to be stocks and bonds, but we're going to carve off <clears throat> somewhere between, you know, uh, I'll just, I'm going to advise Homer. I'm going to say, we're going to carve off 10, 20%. And, uh, we're going to rotate that 10, 20% between pumpkin futures, uh, Christmas tree futures, Rose's futures. I would advise um, Homer to call Pinnacle Trust and just to go. <laughs> I would say, I would say, Homer, just go to Duff's, have a beer, relax, and let let somebody else manage your portfolio, and you do what you do well, and and just have a beer and and talk to the fellows there at Duff's, and just he's gonna hang out at Moe's at Moe's Tavern, right? Is it? Is it? Yeah, that's right. Duff's is the brand the of Duff beer. Duff is the beer. Have a yeah, Duff. Have a Duff's at Moe's. At Moe's. Right there, you go. And, uh, and eat some, eat some apple pie and, uh, and, and enjoy and enjoy your life and let the professionals worry about whether you should have pumpkin futures or Christmas tree futures or firework futures or roses futures. What do you yeah. think about that? I, I, is that a reasonable, is that reasonable advice? I think that's great. <laughs> and by the way, I really wish it were that easy in investing that if you knew what know, month right? it was, you know, which one know. to buy, like you could buy, you know, February 1st, you could buy roses futures. No. Then um, around middle of June, you'd buy those fireworks futures. You really don't know, but that's why you want that's why you want to have as many things as you can have in your portfolio, um, and and balance them in a way. And I, I think you brought up a good point. You know, you don't want to put all of your money into alternatives the same way you wouldn't want to put all your money into bonds or all into stocks. You want right. you want a, a piece of it, and that's that's that'll get you the best portfolio. Right. You know, and if if only it were that easy. If it were if it were that easy to just rotate like that, we would like I said, probably at the beginning of the show, we, we would likely not be having this conversation on this podcast because um, we would be on our private Island somewhere hanging out, you know, <laughs> sipping margaritas or Mai Tais or whatever it is that you're, it may be water for you. Uh, 
you know, whatever your flavor is. And, uh, and I wouldn't be worrying about other people's money. I would be, uh, I would, I would let someone else be managing my pumpkin futures. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to talk one thing about, you know, if you think about the way markets have been trading and what's been doing well, I just want to talk about one risk and one thing that people haven't really hedged again in a while and haven't needed to, but I think is, is the potentially the biggest risk to markets going forward. You know, you asked me about risk earlier and that's inflation. It's something we haven't seen since the seventies in the U S in any kind of material way. And it's something that um, every time anyone predicts it's going to go up, they've been wrong. You know, you heard it five years ago, you heard it 10 years ago, you heard it um, after the financial crisis in 2008. um, And it's never really come up and and it hasn't been a problem, but that doesn't mean it won't be in the future. And if you think about the things that have been driving it and why, why the kind of assets, both stocks and bonds have been doing really well, it's because inflation has been low and we've had very aggressive response from the Fed. Right. So they've been able to lower rates and it hasn't caused inflation and that's great for bonds, it's great for stocks. So if you have a portfolio with a lot of that in there, your biggest risk right now is what if inflation does start to go up? Now I'm not predicting it will, but let's say it does. Then you'd see aggressive response, you know, Fed can't keep rates at zero if inflation's at 5%. Um, and then you'd see kind of some unwinding of, of that, of what we've seen in the past um, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Now, you know, as with anything in alternative, you, you're not really going to predict, you're not going to know for sure this is going to happen. It's about mitigating that risk and taking things that you can do. And I would say the biggest risk to the long-term bull markets in these um, different, in different areas would be inflation. That would be the thing I'd be most worried about, holding a portfolio, not the coronavirus, not even trade with China, but it would be that inflation comes back and comes back in a big way. Um, and, and so that, that's one benefit of having alternatives is that can help you in that kind of situation. Yeah. You know, and you're right. Inflation has not been, has not been in existence at all for the last, gosh, let's call it more than, more than 12 years for sure. And, you know, and the fed has even admitted that they have, they've, and, and the numbers are there too, but that they've missed their inflation target. Um, you know, the last, the last 12 years, uh, which is what is right at 2% ish. And we've, yeah, we've, it's at 2%. Yeah. 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 It's been, you know, one I, to one I don't and a half. Know that, uh, you know, a lot of times when people will, I'll have these conversations with folks too, they'll want to get into the conversations of hyperinflation and they'll always reference a Venezuela or, or, um, or something like that. But, you know, that's, that's also not a, a highly high likelihood for, for the U S um, you know, and that's, and a lot of times that's where the, I have my little doomsdayers that are the, you know, I need to go buy gold and hyperinflation is coming. And now my question to them, which is kind of tongue in cheek, but it gets the point across too, is I just ask like, Hey, if you put a hundred percent of your money in, you know, these gold bars and bullions, uh, are you going to go to Kroger and like shave off pieces of your, of your gold to, you know, to pay for your groceries? No, the answer is you're not going to what really in a situation like that, it's probably you're, you're better off having a lot of livestock and some ammunition to protect it. Um, <laughs> that's probably, that's probably the best. And I won't have a job. I will be, uh, I'll have my own little livestock and ammunition, you know, pile. Yeah. I, I don't think you need, I don't think the risk is hyperinflation at all that we'll yeah. see that, you know, for, the places you've seen hyperinflation, Venezuela, Zimbabwe, you know, Germany many years ago had a complete, either lost a war, had a complete economic collapse, you know, a government collapse, political yeah. crisis. Um, I, I, I hope that's not likely to the U.S. and I don't, I don't think it is. I mean, I think that's a very unlikely um, scenario that you see the entire U.S. economic system collapse. But, um, you know, having inflation at zero to two percent or one and a half or where it's been 
is certainly not guaranteed. We could see 5% inflation, we could see 7% inflation, and that would really disrupt what people have in their current portfolios. Um, and you know, if you look at the long-term kind of expectations for inflation, um, as markets are pricing, they're still below 2%. So markets are sort of saying, look, inflation is not gonna be a problem, that way stocks and bonds can both be very high. And maybe that's right, there's certainly a good chance that's right, but if it's wrong, you should be prepared for that. And, um, and you should know that that's gonna be a real problem scenario for your portfolio. Yeah. And, and we'll have uh, all of our clients that are Pinnacle Trust clients will have uh, a piece of their portfolio exposed to those uh, alternative strategies, man, so that we can try and expect the unexpected. Well, Coop, man, I really appreciate you joining us today. Um, it's been a fun show. I really enjoyed. I love that we started off with the symptom, Simpsons and, and Homer's pumpkin futures. And uh, we kept threading oh. that thing all the way through the show. It was awesome. <laughs> But that was a pretty good Homer impersonation. Yeah, I've, unfortunately, I, I have Homer's hairstyle, so uh, we're, we're in the same boat. <laughs> is right. All right, David, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, David uh, Cooper Smith, thanks so, so, so much for your time. Uh, Martin, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up there. We'll be back yep. uh, next week with another edition of Mind on My Money podcast. Don't forget, it's pintrust.com, P I N N trust.com. Uh, Tell the people at Pinnacle Trust that you heard about Pinnacle Trust on this podcast, on the MPW Digital Network, a podcast you'll get 10% off your first year's fees. So for Martin Palomo, I'm Neil McCready. Talk to you next time. Take care.